welcome to a CFX Connections podcast. CFX is your connection to church leadership, AVL technology, facilities and operations, and our goal is to provide church volunteers and personnel with practical resources for education, training and connection with others serving their church community. And my name is Simon Osmo, and I'll be hosting this month's podcast. I'm a 14-year UK police detective who focused on organised crime and terrorism. And when I first moved to America in 2011, I was head of counter-terrorism at More of America in Minnesota. And for over a decade, my organization, Kingsville Security Consulting, has been helping churches and nonprofits navigate risk management through the lens of an open door church. And today we're going to be talking about safety and architectural design with Jacqueline Block. So, Jacqueline, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. I appreciate you having me on the podcast today. So Jacqueline, you know, I'm really excited to talk with you then about this conversation today on church security and sort of architectural design. Now, I know that America has seen a growing number of attacks um, in recent weeks and in recent months, but going back historically the last few years, public buildings, schools, churches, uh, really those soft targets have really been targeted by those criminals. And I'd love to get your perspective. What are you seeing about church security where people are ex- sort of expanding on their facility? What type of technologies or what things are you seeing the Houses of Worship are doing to stay safe? Absolutely. Um, In our educational practice, we've been incorporating uh, a lot of the security measures for a long time. That's been a big emphasis. Um, In the last few years, we're seeing more emphasis in our um, Houses of Worship and emphasis on security. It's really become um, part of the conversation early in design, whether it's a renovation or a new project. And it's a challenge. Um, Churches want to be open, welcoming, accessible. So finding the balance of creating a space where people do feel comfortable entering and it's welcoming to all, but it's still secure. So we're always looking for ways to incorporate security measures discreetly. Um, Things like exterior lighting, you know, starting at the perimeter of your property, making sure it's well lit that you don't have a lot of bulky landscaping and things that are creating hiding spots on the campus. Um, We also really focus a lot on traffic management, and that's um, important not only for criminal activities, but also the safety of the occupants, people that are pedestrians on the site. We really try to pull the primary circulation away from the building so that when people are walking into the building, they're not having to cross over a major traffic uh, circulation drive. It also just kind of pulls the cars away from the building. Sometimes we do have clients that want to create more of a buffer. We try not to do the bollards that you see at the government buildings, but our landscape planters or sculptural elements that, that most people entering the building wouldn't even know that it is a security measure. It just looks like another piece of art or landscaping. And just trying to find ways to discreetly um, incorporate security measures. The playground spaces, which a lot of churches do have playgrounds, is a space that we really prioritize from a safety standpoint. Um, One, it's just safety kids uh, not being able to have free access and just run away from the playground area, but keeping them contained. But also placing that playground in a spot where there are sight lines, whether it's being monitored by security or a volunteer or it's visible from the interior of the building where people can keep an eye on those children, the spaces that children are in. And we've really found that's very important to most of our clients, keeping, keeping the kids contained and safe. So 
So moving kind of into the, the interior, um, the exterior doors, we really try to make them very visible and in an area where they can be monitored. We're often creating a secure entry, and we've seen this in school design for a while. It's something we're starting to incorporate more into our church design, where there's actually two pairs of, of entry doors that you enter. Um, on weekdays, that area can be secured where the administration or someone can monitor and buzz people in once they have identified um, the visitor and know that they, they should be there. Um, on Sundays, it's a little more challenging because churches are open and there's usually a, a large group of people coming, coming in, but having security or a volunteer at the door monitoring who comes in and who comes out is really important. Um, and placing windows and administration where they can see into the parking lot and they can see who's driving up and who's coming in the building, who's hanging out around the building is really important. Those are things that really don't add a lot of cost that when you're doing a new building uh, strategically can be done in part of the overall budget of the project. And I like what you said there, because you spoke about sort of access to the building. And one of the things that I would say that churches need to consider uh, when they're looking at safety and security of their congregation, the, the guests, the visitors, tenants they might have, is really understanding that security is a no-end state, that there is no finite place where you can say that we are prepared for a disaster. You can only, you can only be better prepared. And I think a lot of the modern security solutions do cost money. And uh, what I often say to churches is, if you can only afford four or five cameras, Get the best cameras that you can and do some of the things that you mentioned to supplement those cameras with good situation awareness. Your person on the front desk is going to greet everyone that comes into the church, welcome them, find out who they are, and they can work alongside your cameras. And as your budget grows or as you can find more resources, you can then um, increase the cameras, you can increase the technology that you have. But I do find that some churches, I have to say, it, try to do things a little bit on the cheap and that, that doesn't always work out well. You know, they, they need to try and work out what is it truly going to cost to keep our building secure and as a church there's other ministry programs we need to spend that money on so we understand that but it's identifying what can we spend this year on cameras and then finding the best cameras that you can and again you know substituting those with other sort of technological um, solutions is that something that you sort of see Jacqueline some of the churches that you work with absolutely um I think it is better to really kind of go ahead and spend the money up front to get the better technology. Like you said, if maybe you don't get all the cameras day one, but you can phase it and add to it and getting good equipment that's going to last a long time, that you have a high quality um, visibility. I think it's the same with access control and those just making sure that you're you're spending the money to get the right, the good door hardware that secures the building, the access control and just spending a little bit more and getting higher quality, those things get used a lot and um, they need to be durable and last a long time. Yeah. And one of the questions that I get quite a lot is about resources. That's the, Simon, Simon, where can we find money to pay for these, some of these architectural design solutions that are going to help us with our security? And one that I know, which is very near and dear to my heart, is the FEMA Nonprofit Security Grant Program. So if there's anyone listening that doesn't know what FEMA is, it's the Federal Emergency Management Agency. Uh, and every year they have a grant program where a nonprofit, as long as you're a 501c3 nonprofit, you can apply for up to $150,000 per location for 
physical security solutions that can include emergency planning, exercises, contracted security. And so it's really good if someone is looking to expand or grow their building, they can actually apply for this grant to help them enhance their security at the same time. Because uh, one of the biggest, uh, I have to say, disasters that I have seen is that a church had a $100 million expansion and they saw, uh, they considered um, security secondary. So they came to my organization post that being built and we found that the front desk was located in the wrong location. We had the wrong access control and wrong security cameras. So um, having that grant at the same time as expanding your building, it really allows you to bring in those new technology solutions. I know there's other things, um, um, Jacqueline, that you talk about with the cyber um, security infrastructure program. Maybe some share some other things that people can do to, to get free resources. Absolutely. There are a lot of good resources, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, FEMA, um, security consultants uh, like Simon, and then the grants are really, really helpful from an architectural standpoint. You know, an architect can help with some of the in the early design, some of the more passive things that sometimes don't cost additional money, such as secure kids spaces. We always make sure that our, our kids spaces are isolated. Kids classrooms are together. Um, sometimes we'll go into older churches where kids spaces and adult education are, are kind of mixed together. Um, we try to rework those spaces to put all the kids together um, and have a, a secure point where adults that either don't have kids, aren't um, trained volunteers, don't have access into that space. And it's important for the kids to also have dedicated restrooms that they're not sharing restrooms with the adults. And so some of those things in early, if you're doing a new project early in design and identify that, those things don't always cost more money if they're done up front and designed into the building. Yeah, and one of the things that I often sort of ask churches as to, you know, do they have money for a security risk assessment? I know we're going to talk about that uh, a little bit later. And, and that can be a sort of a capital expense for church or a large expense. But local police departments, they generally or most often will have a crime prevention officer and those people again most often in today's world are trained in something called septed so if the listeners aren't familiar with septed uh we'll, we'll put a link to it in the notes below it's called crime prevention for environmental design so at the same time that you're looking at the the beauty of a building how the building's going to look aesthetically you can also look at the sort of a SIPTED, the Crime Prevention for Environmental Design. It's simple things such as when I worked at Mall of America, there was a, a sort of a, a walkway going over a bridge that used to have lots, lots of robberies. And the reason why it had lots of robberies is because the sides of the bridge were, were sort of covered. So you couldn't see who was down the walkway until you were there. So by removing the bridge and then putting something which was architecturally um, pleasing and aesthetic on the eye, which was a glass building, it meant that every person that walked through that bridge could be seen and it reduced the robberies almost overnight they disappeared away so just by changing the design of that bridge 
remove the crime. And, and most often, crime is about displacement. So uh, I'd really encourage you, if you're listeners, to reach out to your local police department, find out if you have a crime prevention officer, and mention that you've heard of crime prevention for environmental design. And can they just come and walk around? You could be having a new expansion or just have a look at your building, because there just could be some simple things that you can do just by changing the layout, which is going to reduce those motivated offenders who are going to come and try and um, commit offences at your at your church. Um, before we move on, Jacqueline, is there anything else around the sort of the architectural design process that you'd like to cover? I think it's really important early in the design process to have these conversations with the design team. And if you have an internal safety or security team, to have them involved in the process and get their feedback. And it would be beneficial, too, for the design team to know um, if you have hired security and kind of what your own internal safety and security policies are so that the designers can help um, support that and make sure that that you have the right spaces that you need um, so you can support this ongoing after the design is complete. Well, I like what you said there because it keeps reminding me of, and the listeners are going to think I'm really bad here, but it keeps reminding me of things that go wrong most often in around church safety and security. And if there's operational people listening to this podcast, which I believe there may be, I would really encourage them to make sure that they're working with their facilities teams and they're working with their security leaders even if that person is volunteer or part-time, just to make sure they have a seat at the table. It's really important that someone who understands security has a seat at the table when you're looking to expand or you're looking for some type of uh, redesign of your church building because they may see things differently to, to you, as you mentioned about so children's toilets and stuff before. And by excluding them, uh, it can have an adverse effect later to the safety and security of the building. Again, mentioning that SIPTEV that I mentioned, the crime prevention from environmental design. Um, and they're not there to say no to people in operations that could be doing a, a building redesign. They're just there to offer a different perspective. So I'd really want to encourage people to make sure that you allow them a seat at the table and just really reflect on what they share with you and just find, find that common ground, find out what you can do in relation to keeping the building safe and secure. Now, I know there's some maybe some very ingenious and really interesting things that you and your organization do to help churches look at sort of building design and safety in a different way. Is there anything that comes to mind, Jacqueline, that you that your organization's done to help help people? One of the things that we're seeing are more churches are sharing their space with third parties, um, whether it's nonprofits that are using available space, co-working space some churches that are dealing with underutilized space post underutilized space post pandemic are looking for ways to either cost share with their space or just offer a service in the community. Um, when we're looking at buildings like that, really have to think about um, potentially isolating the spaces that are going to be used by third party where they're secure from the church admin so that everyone doesn't have the ability on a Monday through Friday just to walk through the church workspace. And so really thinking through, okay, does the the third party and the space the third party um, entity is using, do they have access to the sanctuary? Do they have access to the church offices? And thinking about maybe potentially separate entry and exit points for those spaces that are getting um, shared or, or potentially rented out. 
it's really important to kind of to think through that and the circulation and the traffic flow. Yeah, I like that you've said that because I worked with a uh, 501c3 Christian school uh, a few years ago, and they were renting part of their building to a church. And when we did a risk assessment of the school, one of the things I always ask my um, clients to do is to give me a list of all your vendors that you do business with, uh, and then give me a list of all your tenants that might use your building. And actually, by talking with the school, uh, we realized that the church tenant was actually running some outreach programs during the day. Uh, And one of those programs was a divorce care clinic. Now, not every person that enters a divorce is going to lead to some type of violence um, or criminal act. However, having a school and then having a church who's a tenant and they're running a divorce care clinic during the day, most often there could be a disgruntled partner who's going to try and find out where that person was. So, um, you know, thankfully nothing happened, but it did identify to them some risk that they were holding that they hadn't even considered. Uh, And similar to you, we call that third-party risk. You know, quite often comes from your tenants uh, and it comes from vendors that you're doing business with. What risk are those people bringing to you when they're coming inside your organization? Uh, reputational risk is in there as well. So that's always a big lesson that I give people that, you know, by renting your church building, there is risk which is going to come with that. You really need to understand who that organization is and ask them the questions. What are you going to be doing inside our premise to see if that brings you any more additional risk? So I'm glad. glad Glad that you you and your organization um, look around that. Um, so one of the things that I see, Jacqueline, in and around churches with safety and security is most often there's denial of danger. And that is closely followed by a lack of security culture. Uh, and what I mean by that is not everyone either buys into safety and security um, or they don't see it, but it's not me. It's not my responsibility about someone else. But for, for a building to be safe, you really need that cohesiveness that sort of you know collective shared ownership and responsibility i'd love to know in your line of work do you see the sort of lack of security culture in and around the faith communities we do see that it, it has um become a bigger conversation in the last few years where churches are focusing on the security sometimes what we see like you were saying earlier it's a it's an applied thing after um, we just need some, you know, cameras at the entry. We need access doors to control who's coming and going. Taking it to that next level and thinking about the building design and what kind of transparency do we need? I mean, like you were talking about earlier with taking out the bridge and making it become more transparent. And we are seeing more churches saying, okay, we need more transparency. No, no closed doors where no one can see in. Um, so it's becoming more of a more of a conversation and less applied after the fact, um, but actually incorporating it into the design process. Yeah, and I think I'd encourage the listeners of this podcast to think of their organization and say, what is your security culture? Um, quite often I ask people the question of church open door. And I went to a, an Episcopal church last week and they were having some troubles with homelessness. And I said to them, you know, what does church open door mean to you? Everyone has a different understanding 
uh, within their faith community, but it really helps you get a better understanding of well, what is what is your culture because everything in the church comes from our culture and security is exactly the same. So to be successful, you really need to understand well, what do your ministry leaders feel? What does your executive pastor, uh, what does the, sort of the church board feel about safety and security and making sure that we're doing things that align with their, their mission and their mindset so we can we can move forward. I guess, Jacqueline, the next question I'd love to get your perspective on is what do you do? What do you have to do differently in old buildings that are getting upgrades than you would do in a new building? Yeah, with older buildings, I do think it's important to do a risk assessment, um, whether it's hiring a security company or maybe the um, resource that you mentioned with the police, if you have a local police officer that has some feedback and having someone walk through with fresh eyes, maybe watching your space on, you know, a Sunday morning, your max capacity, but also in other hours when the building isn't occupied to really identify the risk, the current risk. Um, we often find in some of the older buildings uh, that children's spaces are not secured. Um, I think maybe if you have a 1950s, 1960s education wing, we'll find that it may be an adult classroom, then a kid's classroom, adult classroom, and they're not isolated. And really um, one of the first things we recommend is, is getting the kids isolated and all together behind a secured entry point. Um, some of the older facilities we go into, the admin reception area is kind of hidden, buried in the building behind maybe a new addition. And the admin doesn't even really have the visibility into the entry point and the parking lot. So sometimes looking at reconfiguring, so especially on that Monday through Friday, that your admin and reception, they have a view to see who's entering the property, who's coming into the parking lot, who's coming to the front door. Um, and we find that a lot that, for, you know, just probably additions over time and the admin's buried in the building. But having someone um, in those eyes on the site is really important. And that transparency from, you know, out to the to the entry point and then primary parking. And I like what you said there, because when you think of an old building versus a new, uh, an old building might be up to code but a lot of the security practices might be outdated. You know, you go to a lot of old churches, they still have the glass, uh, they still have the sort of the mesh inside the glass. And a lot of people tend not to like that sort of wire inside the glass anymore because when it breaks, it can cause more more injuries with people trying to put their hands and, and fingers through. You know, most often, again, I have to generalise here a little bit, but my experience has told me this to be true. When you go to older buildings, a lot of the doors can't be locked. So again, you might be up to building regulations and code, but where are you in the sort of a life cycle of the security journey? How how modern are you, as you mentioned, in relation to your children's ministry? Can doors be locked, you know, wherever, where the restrooms are located? So it's, it's interesting that you say that, because I think that would, that's what I would say is the biggest difference, that there's going to be a, a big a bigger void between what code says and the sort of the security of the building. I think also... The funding is going to be a big deal as well, um, Jack. And do you think that in an older building, if you're uh, either buying an older building, you're currently in an older building, it's mostly going to take take more capital expense to get the security where it needs to be. What would you What would you say about that? I agree. You know, you may not have the electrical infrastructure in place 
Um, the door hardware is probably, like you said, it may not work. Buildings may have settled where doors don't fully fully close. And so unless someone, you know, when they exit the building, unless they actually pull the door shut, it may remain open. And so there's often more retrofitting um, that has to happen in an older building. And just picking up what you said about earlier on security risk assessments, they are a great tool for a new building and an old building to really assess where you are. I've got um, customers that had risk assessments three, four, five years ago, and I know they're still using those documents to help guide them as to uh, what they need to tackle in this year. Uh, we like to look at a risk assessment as sort of in a ministry term near, here and far. What are those things that an organization can do on little budget? Where might you need to move a few things around? And some of the things that you mentioned, Jacqueline, um, you know, card access, um, you know, alarms and, and CCTV, they could be expensive things that you need to sort of um, budget out for. So having a risk assessment will really help you labor everything in your organization and most often the question about a risk assessment is, well, um, how do we do everything? Well, well, that isn't the point, is to identify your risk, offer you solutions to those, and then for you as a church body to say, okay, what are we going to focus on this year and then accomplish a goal and then just keep looking back over the, over the document? So I like that you mentioned the risk assessment because that that is a great tool for any organization to really focus on um, to create a plan, really a plan that you can then follow and then execute. And you can also track milestones as to as to where we are. I love that. It's basically a master plan. And so they can kind of phase, phase it in as, as budget allows. Love that. Yeah. Well, well, Jacqueline, it's been really fun to talk to you today. So thank you so much for joining me and sharing uh, so much wisdom and your encouragement for those people that you serve. Now, if anyone would like to learn more about your organization or connect with you, what's the best way for them to get hold of you? Either um, our email, my email address, which is JacquelineBlock at GFF.com, which hopefully will be posted with this, or my phone number, either one. I would love to hear from anyone if they have any questions. Uh, thank you. And uh, I'm sure many people will want to reach out to learn more, Jack. And if you want to reach out to me, my website is just kingswoodsc.com, or you can send me an email to info at kingswoodsc.com. Be happy to give you any information on subjects myself and Jacqueline have spoken about today. And thank you to everyone who's listened to our podcast today. Please make sure that you share this on social media and with your church and ministry teams. And please do check back next month to listen to Graham Spencer and David Leuchner as they discuss why you can't have good tech without good training so subscribe now to be the first to listen but for now my name is simon osmo and i want to thank you for joining me and you have a blessed day